don't prepare our hearts, my own heart, to receive His love, His strength, His power, His anointing. But it's not from a place of who we are and what we stand for, but it's from a place of who He is and how faithful He is to us. Can we pray together? Dear Heavenly Father, I love You, Lord. I thank You, God, that You are on the throne. I thank You that in Your place of power and majesty and strength, Lord, You love us. You care for us. You strengthen us. You uphold us. You guide us because You are faithful. We worship you today. We thank you today. Just feel that there are people here today that are overwhelmed with busyness. Busyness is the word that that has come to my heart. God is with you. Do you know, sometimes God does not remove the busyness, but He gives you the ability to handle it, the faith to overcome it, the strength to work through it. He knows what you can handle. And He is for you. Amen. Amen. Want to give the person next to you a hug? Tell them, get ready. Thank you, Dan. Turn to the other side and say, get ready. So the title of my sermon for this morning that I felt to bring to our community had about seven or eight different name changes. Because for me, as I find God draws me to Scripture, what initially draws me there is often not what God begins to speak to me about. So this week uh, on about Tuesday, the, the sermon title was Just Keep Swimming. Has anybody seen Nemo? Give me a wave. Has anybody seen Finding Dory? Give me a wave. Was anybody disappointed with the sequel? Oh, why is that always the case? They go in with such anticipation and excitement and then it never seems to be what I hoped it would be. But the, the, it started off with just keep swimming. And then it was, it, it transformed to take a hold of your moment. Everyone say, oh, that's a good one, isn't it? It was a good one. No one said that. I thought it was a good one. I don't know what I'm bad to talk about. Uh, but I settled this morning on faithfulness. And now you can see that the moment it all changed. That's what I want to talk about this morning. The moment it all changed. You see, God is faithful. So we can persevere when we're busy, when we're tired, when we're run down. We can persevere and know that strength and help is coming from God because He carries us and helps us to succeed. But often the transition takes place when we begin to focus on His faithfulness to us instead of our situation. Because He is faithful. When you begin to see that, everything changes. Have you ever had an experience, I know I have multiple, where you're you're in a moment and you think you're heading one way and then in the click of a finger, it changes. Let me give you some examples. When we were on holidays, we went camping. And everyone, yeah, and I heard I got paid out about that whiles away. 
but I feel there are more campers here than there isn't, uh, and they are with me. And I see they see all the campers get excited, see them, they all shuffled a little bit in their seat. But what happens, I find, is one thing is exceptional. It's an incredible feeling about camping. It's just after you've had a shower, because it's the only point of the day when you're actually clean. And you hop out and you go, this is truly a foreign feeling. And you're clean. And what happened is I treasure that feeling and we went on holidays and I took my kids out and we bought them an ice cream and, and we're in, all enjoying the ice cream until uh, Kiara licked hers and it fell onto the floor. And every parent has experienced that heartbreak with your child. We lamented together, but so did the owner and he bought her another one. I said, I'll be back tomorrow. And then the next day we went and got another ice cream. And in a moment I hear Lila saying, Daddy, can I have a hug? And for every parent, when your baby says that to you, instantly you swing around with eyes, arms open and you're going for that cuddle. But then you realise in that moment, more ice cream has made the face than the mouth. And you go, I don't know if I want to cuddle anymore. And it's sort of a cuddle at a tap and it's more of a wife cuddle. And in that moment, everything changes. You're heading in one direction and then everything changes. Or when you hear that moment, whether you've got a niece or a nephew or a child or, or, or a cousin, and they say, can I have a kiss? But they've got a cold. And you realise more snot is on the face than the nose. And then you're like, oh, I've got to kiss that now. And you go from yes to no in the snap of a finger. Has anybody ever been there? Has anybody ever committed to that moment? It's not fun, but it's worth it. But in that moment, everything changes. I remember when we were walking into a church in Geelong, we were visiting a friend of my parents was speaking. I was a child and my dad was making his way across a car park. It was a concrete car park. And there's obviously a little bit of work going on and it had been raining. And my dad sees this puddle and he's in this suit, uh, which was cool, was like a blue kind of super trendy and sees this puddle and he goes, oh, it looks like it's only a couple of mil deep, you know, we'll wander our way through it and we'll head into church. And as my dad steps into the puddle, it goes back up to about his hip. So he's left there and I'm thinking these days that would have broken his hip. But back then he was able to pull himself off. But this is the tenacity of my dad. You see, we didn't go home. He just sat in that service with one leg that was covered with mud and he committed. But see, in a moment, everything changed. In one moment, it was just a few mil deep. In the next moment, he was up to his hip. In the click of a finger, everything changes. Now, it's good to say that, that, that in the click of a finger, everything changes, but often that's not the case. If we look at, at the reality, often change comes through process. For example, if a person says, I want to be fit, it does not happen from that decision. It happens after making that decision time and time and time again. But that moment of deciding to get fit, if they commit to it, happens in the click of a finger. I want to talk to you this morning about God's faithfulness, and I want to use Micah chapter 7, if you guys want to begin to turn there, for the premise and, and, and the base, what I want to build upon, the fact that God is faithful, and often we need to take a hold of that, understand that, recognize that in our life, and it begins to change everything, because God is faithful. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is faithful. 
I'm going to say that a lot. If that's all you go home with, we've won. God is faithful. Micah chapter 7. I'm going to read it this morning. I may uh, skip a few verses uh, just to reinforce the context. I'll, I'll come back a bit later. But this is what it says. What misery is mine. I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The rulers demands gift. The judges accept bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them are like a beerer. The most upright, the worst, then a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confession. Do not trust your neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. This is really uplifting. Come and just bear with me. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard your words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. But everybody, this is where we're going to camp and this is what we're going to take a hold of. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Saviour. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I've fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against Him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until He pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see His righteousness. Then my enemies will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now, she will be trampled underfoot like a mere in the streets. Let's go down to verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledge, pledged on oath to our ancestors in the days long ago. In verse 7 it says, But me... I'm not giving up. So if you're looking at the context of this scripture, what's going on in uh, this passage as he begins to write is Israel is in Babylonian exile. That They had walked away from the promise that God has for them in the promised land and his blessing and protection once again because of their disobedience. But this time, the society is falling apart. This time Micah is in deep, dark despair because of the state of God's people. It's a dark time. They're sitting in the filth of their disobedience. They knew it was right, but yet they continue to seek, and not only seek, but pursue what created distance between them and God. 
So at the start of chapter 7, we see a, a dirge, a lament. He's in pain. He, he's talking about it. There, there is some, some, some de- depressing things going on. The Message Bible writes it like this. The right living of humans are extinct. He couldn't find any honourable people in the land. Land, It says, they're out for one another's blood. It was a dark time as he looked at God's people in disobedience. It was a hard time. He's there looking at a landscape, at a picture, at a situation that was not going well. Have you ever been a bystander like that? where you look at even at our society, I begin to pray and and begin to seek God for what's going on in our world at the moment. And I continue to pray for our leaders. But yeah, I've seen situations where you're a bystander and you see something going on and you see the despair and you see the pain and you, you feel like you can't help anything without God's intervention. Maybe you've landed yourself in a situation from your own disobedience that's caused despair in your life and pain in your life. And you're needing to repent and ask God to help you. We've all done that. We've all placed ourselves in those situations. So in the first six verses of chapter seven, it's a lament. He's in pain. But the hinge of chapter seven uh, is in verse seven. The hinge is where everything begins to change. It's a personal testimony. He says, but as for me, but as for me, I'm not giving up. This is the message version. I'm sticking around to see what God will do. I'm waiting for God to make things right. I'm counting on God to listen to me. Oh, isn't that an incredible thought? Isn't that? So he's in the midst of looking at pain, despair, sin, something that can't be overcome without God's intervention. He's almost at a place of lost hope. But then he says, no, as for me, I'm not giving up. I'm going to see what God will do. I will wait on him because he listens to me. So it goes from misery to a personal testimony, and then God begins to prophesy hope and restoration through him. Because then he goes on to say, all of your scattered people will come back. He wipes the slate clean. Mercy is your specialty. He says that he will remember his promise to the ancestors long ago. I began to realize that, isn't it funny how sometimes in life we go from misery, but at a personal conviction, we can go to hope because of God's faithfulness. In the middle, we meet God's faithfulness. All can be lost, but because we remember His faithfulness, all of a sudden, what we begin to prophesy into our future is the fact that God is faithful to us. Micah is prophesying judgment. He has his personal conviction that God is faithful. It hinges the whole thing. It goes from lost hope to God restoring His people but often it hinges on a personal conviction because in that moment, it hadn't changed. In that moment, nothing had happened yet, but he had determined, but as for me, this morning, I want you to have your Micah 7-7 moment where you say, but as for me, I'm not giving up because God will hear me and he will answer my call because he's faithful, because he wants what's best 
for you. But sometimes we need to find that personal testimony in our life that we decide to have more faith in the faithfulness of God than looking at the broken situation. You see, Micah at that moment didn't look at unfaithful people towards God, but looked at God's faithfulness towards His people. And that's what we need to realise. We are all sinners, but He is still faithful. We all fall short of the grace of God, but He is still faithful. Because here's the thing, He does not meet us in the middle, but He comes to where we are and carries us towards His will because He is faithful. This is releasing because no matter how dark, no matter how oppressed, no matter how far gone your situation looks, we can have faith that God will meet our needs because He is faithful. Turn to the person next to you and say, but as for me, I'm not giving up and mean it. And now you've got accountability. You can use that against that person next to you now. When they hit hard times, you can say, I thought you weren't giving up. And direct them towards the faithfulness of God. So let's look at three things that I believe God has spoken to me to encourage you with this morning about Micah 7.7. Let's begin uh, to, to focus in on that. Hope and expectation. He says, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. Micah was in pain over his situation, but he did not see the circumstance for what it was, but he had hope that God would restore. It says he watched for the Lord to change and bring breakthrough. Recently, Jai uh, got a game. Uh, it's, what's it called? Beyblades. Beyblades. It's like, it's pretty cool. Uh, you get this little bucket kind of thing and he has like a spinning top and they spin and then someone else has a spinning top and spin and then they battle each other and they crash and the last one spinning wins. And he absolutely loves it. And there's these little communities and pockets that are popping up at his school and they're all playing it together. Now he says, Dad, would you play with me? And, and I love it because what I love about it is one, I get to engage with him. But two, while he's watching the Blades, I love watching him because he watches in such anticipation. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, what, what's, I think I'm going to win. Oh, no, you're going to win. And he just is so excited about watching these spinning tops. There's just this joy and there's this anticipation. Oh, what's going to happen? Hope and anticipation. He says, I watch in hope for the Lord. Hope is a firm conviction or a confident expectation. And in Micah's case, that was in God. I love the psalmist. This is what he writes in Psalm 5.3. It says, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. What's your expectation when it comes to God? I feel people battle more with the expectation that God wants to smite you and, and, and take you out for the sin in your life when that is not the case. He is faithful to you. My expectation when it comes to my God, when He looks at me, I see through the blood of the cross. What Jesus did is He took my sin. So I stand in right standing before my God because of my Saviour. So my expectation is that He makes beauty out of ashes. 
says that in Isaiah 61.3. Or my expectation is that the pain and the drama that I feel right now won't compare to the joy that is to come. That's in Romans 8.18. Micah says in the very next verse, in Micah 7.8, Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. What I'm trying to say here is we're all faced with challenges. But when we face circumstance that requires God's intervention, we're looking at our brokenness, but we need to remember God's grace and mercy. Micah did two things. So he watched. The direction of his focus was on God. It was not the situation that he was facing with the people of Israel, but he looked past that to God. He did not look at what was unfaithful, but was faithful. And then he hoped. He had the expectation that God would be faithful, that the people would repent and turn back to God, and that he would remember his promise to them. He watched and put his hope in what he was looking at. Or, in other words, what he was looking at, he put his hope in. What are you looking to for your hope? What are you looking to? Is your hope in a relationship? And maybe that person's let you down? Is your hope in money and then it's disappeared? Your hope needs to be in God, but often what you look to determines what you put your hope in. Look to God, be like Micah. Look to God, have your moment. He is faithful. He is faithful. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares on him, for he cares. For you. That really ministers to me because I know that often when I get myself in trouble from my decision making, I know that I can give it to God and He can help me because He cares for me. I can cast my worries, my drama, my fear and put it in a God who I know is faithful to me. He is faithful. There's an Elevation song that they've just recently Released, and this is some of the lyrics. I lay my burdens down. I lose my worries in your love. Casting every care on you, I have carried them enough. I am not alone within his love. Emmanuel, he is still with us. God is with us. Look to him in hope and expectation. often hard to remember in the middle of it but throughout life his faithfulness never changes he's the same today yesterday today and forever he is faithful the second part of verse 7 says I wait for God my saviour Isn't it great that in that he says, I wait on my God, and then he gives him a title as to who he is, my saviour. The one who brings breakthrough. The one who sets me free from the situation. 
Transitional moments happen when you realize the timing is not always in your hands. Waiting, as he said, I wait for God, requires perseverance. Waiting requires courage. Waiting requires strength. Waiting requires an understanding that the timing is in God's hands. But how can that be, Charles? It's just waiting. It's just waiting. I think the faith is in the waiting. Michael was determined to continue waiting with a steady belief over a period of time that God would do something. Waiting is also a great sign of dependence. In one of my many holidays, it seems to be my car is in a habit of breaking down as soon as we leave for holidays. We literally were on the road 20 minutes. Oh, a bit longer than that. But something happened with the connection to my trailer and my dashboard lights went and we had left at 4 o'clock in the morning and it was pitch black dark. And we were on a place where we couldn't stop. At least I still had lights out the front, but no lights on the trailer and people were coming up behind me and I had my iPhone just so I could see the speed until it was safe to pull over. And I was in this moment and I thought, uh-oh, it was only a $4 fuse, but I was like, I think it's a fuse, but I don't know which fuse it is. I don't even know where the fuses are, let's be honest. And, and I'm like, oh, no, this isn't good. So what we do is we wait for the roadside assist in the hope that they would be able to save us from the situation. Our hope is a sign of dependence on who we're waiting for. So Micah had hope and anticipation, expectation in his Lord, but then he waited on his Saviour. He was waiting on the one he knew could save him and redeem him from the situation. He didn't just wait for anybody. He waited for his Saviour. Because when your Saviour comes, if he is your Saviour, which God is in our situation, we know he won't be overcome by what you're going through. He's in the business of making the impossible possible for your life. He's in the business of making the unmovable, immovable, movable. He moves mountains. In fact, the one you're waiting for has already given you the victory. Amen. Thank you, Lord. But what can be learned in the waiting? If you're writing notes down, this morning, I encourage you to write these things. What can be learned in the waiting? One of the things I felt the Lord say to me this week is self-awareness. What you can handle and what you can't handle can be revealed through the waiting. I remember many years ago, I bought my dad a barbecue and we're all beginning to see the trend that I'm not that handy. And it wasn't uh, a barbecue that come 90% together and you put the wheels on. When I unpacked this thing, it was on special. I realized it was far beyond my ability. But I'm also very impatient. So I began to set it up. And then I realized as I began to set it up at the time, oh no, this is beyond me. Oh, I can't do it. So I called a friend of mine who was handy, whose name was Tim. But he said, yeah, I can come, but you're going to have to wait for me to do it. 
So then I was in this battle. Oh, I think I could pull it off. I can follow the instructions. Or, or do I wait? So eventually I waited because in the waiting, the day he arrived and we began to construct it, I realized it was beyond what I could have done. As I read through the book, I realized this was far beyond uh, me being able just to put it together. I actually wanted it to work. I had this fear of it becoming the barbecue I bought that was in the corner that we never used because I couldn't put it together. That was my fear. But in the waiting, and often when God makes you wait, it can be giving you a picture of one, what you can handle. Yes, I'm ready to engage it. But two, it can also reveal to you what you can't. The second thing that can be revealed in the waiting is that God's plans will always work out better than our plans. The third thing, the growth in the waiting helps you properly to take a hold of God's purpose when the timing is right. And the fourth thing that I have often battled with, and I believe that this is the word of the Lord for somebody today, is that in the waiting, you battle with the lost time. Every minute I wait, I never get that back. I should be progressing. I should be moving forward. I should be, I should be here by now, but yet I'm waiting. God, why am I waiting? You know what I felt he revealed to my spirit is that God can make up lost time in the blink of an eye. At the right time and the right purpose with the right layer of maturity in your life, you can make it up in the blink of an eye. In the wait, attitudes are tested, faith is tested, patience is tested. But most importantly, God's purpose will be revealed and released in your life. Determination is forged in the wait so that when, we re uh, when release comes, it is something we can cling to and not let go of. I wait for God, my Saviour. Dan and the band, I might get you guys to come up. It says, my God will hear me at the end of verse 7. My God will hear me. What an assurance. This is Micah. And at verse 7, he begins to have a transitional thought. He remembers that God is faithful. What, what I love about it is he's actually basing his faith on the fact that God had made a promise to his ancestors. We see that at the end of verse 7 to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. What, what I love and I'm amazed about God is that in, in the Bible days, in, in ancient times, there was a covenant. It was also always made between two people, often a stronger party who provided provision, food, protection, and then there was a weaker party that often uh, what they brought w w was love and, and loyalty and, and uh, that's what they provided. And they'd come together and they'd make a covenant to each other and it couldn't be broken unless someone died. But yet God made a covenant with His people, with us, knowing that we would walk away from it, but yet... His promise that was that I'd be unfaithful. His promise was that God will be faithful through it. You see, God, even despite of ourselves, said, no, I will be faithful to you, even if you are not faithful to me. 
I am faithful. I love the message version. It says that mercy and forgiveness is His specialty. So what happened is at that moment of misery, what hinged Micah's faith was that he remembered that God had made a promise to His people to be faithful. And that as they would repent and turn back, God would restore them. God would bring them back, would make up lost time. Because God is faithful to us despite of ourselves. Everything changed when Micah remembered God's promise to him. And we have the new covenant, the new promise, the promise that God makes with humanity, that He will forgive sin and restore fellowship with Him to those whose hearts are turned towards Him. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. His death on the cross is the basis of that promise. We take a hold of the promise of God because of the work of Jesus for us. He died for us even though we were sinners because He promised to be faithful to us knowing that we would be unfaithful to Him. So in the midst of the despair and the pain, He was able to remember God's faithfulness. God is faithful to you. In the midst of your pain, your fear, your busyness, your disloyalty, He is still faithful to you. He still loves you. He's faithful. They went from misery and from a revelation of God's faithfulness, it turned into a prophecy of salvation and hope from lost and despair to a personal choice that God is faithful and then remember what His faithfulness does for our life. No matter what you face, let it hinge on the fact that we know God is faithful to us as we are repentant, humbled and submitted to Him. He'll begin to restore. He'll begin to build up. He'll begin to bring additional blessing. So let's stand for a minute. God is faithful. Everything changed when he had hope and anticipation in the God he was praying to. He waited on God, the God that was his Saviour, our Saviour. He didn't let the voice of his trials or the voice of his busyness be louder than the voice of a faithful God. Know that God hears you. Know that God is for you. So why don't we just close our eyes this morning. What I want to do today is I want us to have a Micah 7-7 moment when our personal testimony in our heart is that we remember God's faithfulness to us. So that when we look at whatever circumstances, whatever journey that we are on, it can be from the premise that we know God is faithful. He is faithful. So I believe there are many people across this room that whether you are faced with situations, whether it be in the workplace, 
whether it be in your family life, whether it just be generalised pressure through your life and you don't know whether uh, there, there is ability to keep pushing and keep striving, you're tired, whether it be a, a dynamic in your family that, that has changed recently and, and you were like, God, I need you there. I want to have a moment this morning where we decide that God is faithful, that we remember this. This is what you say to your spirit. But me, I'm not giving up. I'm sticking around to see what God will do. I'm waiting for God to make things right. I'm counting on God to listen to me. Remember His faithfulness. So with every eyes closed across this place, every eye closed, When you're ready to smile.